Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. <clears throat> I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the dean and founder of DirectionsUniversity.com, the co-founder of TheLeveragist.com, and the all-new affiliate network for people doing good, Divisio, D-U-V-I-S-I-O.com. We have got a fantastic show lined up for you guys today. We have my co-host, the Associate Dean at Directions University, and my all-around partner in crime, Jack Humphrey. Hello, Jack. Howdy. I'm not a big fan of Google today. Me neither. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I wonder what the heck happened. Uh, Yeah, so we got this site that's uh, very, very, very much non-existent in Google right now. <laughs> so we're trying to, we were scrambling before the show to try to figure out exactly why. We will. It's just a fun little mystery. It really is. Well, we have a fantastic show lined up for everybody today. I just want to make sure that we have our guest, Michael Sujanowski, on the line with us. Michael Sue, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning. Let me have Jack introduce you properly. Take it away, Jack. Hi. Hi, Michael Sue. I want to give you a little bit of an introduction here. You've got some stuff going on. So Michael (laughs) Sue guides women who are survivors of domestic violence, sexual abuse, or rape as they overcome years of emotional pain and discover intimacy. She is a mental health and substance abuse counselor hypnotherapist, and is completing a criminal justice doctorate and worked in domestic violence and sexual abuse for 12 years. And so welcome, Michael Sue, to Leverage Masters. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Jack and Gina. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. That was a, that was a fairly brief introduction. Tell us, um, first of all, what gets you out of bed in the morning with a fire burning in your belly to greet the day and do what you do? Well, you know, I am the case study for what I do. Uh, I was molested as a child, raped at 19, and abused in every way possible in my second marriage. And I've worked through all of this, and I understand it totally. And I know how I felt all those years going through the garbage, the junk. And mm. so what gets me out of bed in the morning is knowing that I I know what it feels like to not want to get out of bed in the morning. And I want everybody to be able to get out of the out of bed in the morning, especially the women that have been abused. You know, they need to feel good about themselves and be able to get up and get moving, and be able to look in the mirror and say, I really like who's looking back at me, and to live a full and complete life without any garbage whatsoever, without any lack of confidence or self-esteem, 
and and to and to know that they have a purpose on this on this earth. So that's what gets me up out of bed in the morning, Jack. That is a big that's a big get out of bed uh uh impetus <laughs> for sure. Very worthy. So yeah, so you've got the cause, you've got the reason, you've got all of that. How are you um how are you helping people? Are you using leverage to reach as many people as you can and what what kinds of things are you doing to to uh, affect this outcome for as many women as possible this is a brand new business i have been working on my business plan and getting things together for about a year now and i am finally to the point of putting it into play Um, most of my clients come from around the world, actually, not just Tallahassee where I live, but from around the world. And um, they'll come to me via the Internet and people like you, shows like this. And um, and so that's, that's what I'm doing now is really, really starting to get that out there. I have... Um, Groups that I do online, I use Zoom video conferencing so I can see people and I can work one-on-one that way or I can work in groups. And I I use Facebook a lot. Um, and I teach boundaries. Everybody's got to have boundaries. <laughs> you know, it's one of those big things that, a lot of people think that they know what boundaries are and how to set them and maintain them and it's it's really funny i get people into my into my groups and they think oh yeah i got this and then they find out oh maybe i don't have this so i help <laughs> them to be able to learn how to set and maintain healthy relationship boundaries in in all areas of their life um, because so many times we don't even realize that we've got a relationship with somebody that's right next to us and, and driving down the road in that car next to us. And there are times when even that person in that car next to us can cross our boundaries. And what do we do about that? That person has no clue. And now we've just, you know, our boundary was crossed. They just cut in front of us or cut us off or made a left turn. From, you know, made a right turn from a left lane or, you know, things like that. And we don't even know that these things are happening. And a lot of times people in our lives that are really close to us, um, parents, siblings, children, partners, spouses, um, people that we work with, you know, they're our friends. They're the closest to us, and yet they often cross those boundaries and when they do this most of the time they don't mean to hurt us they're not trying to do any harm and yet there's a piece there that they are harming us and it's abusive and most people don't even realize that that's a form of abuse because it just happens a lot and so I I help people to learn that there's something to do for this. We can fix this. There, those boundaries don't have to be crossed. And when I first started 
learning about boundaries, I thought they were walls. You know, I didn't realize that a boundary yeah. is actually just a bridge. So that's that's a piece With of maybe it. a gate at one end or the other that you open or close to uh, uh, maintain access or not, depending? Yeah. Or is yeah. it just an open-ended you know, some, bridge? Yeah, sometimes um, people are toxic, and we need to keep them out of I'm our sorry. lives. So we have to close that gate. Yeah, sometimes they're toxic. Most times they're not. Most times they don't mean to be. And when we know better, we do better. Thank you, Maya Angelou, for your you know mm-hmm. wise words of wisdom that you left us. But, you know, we teach people how to treat us. And oftentimes we don't realize that that's what we're doing. And and so when we learn how to have these healthy boundaries in all areas of our life, then people understand, well, I can do this or I can't do this. And if they continue to do it, a lot of times we have to we have to sever the ties. Uh and that's unfortunate because I like having a lot of people in my life. And I as as well as I'm sure most people like having a lot of people in their life. But sometimes we just have to sever that tie and get rid of those what toxic it, people. What it, how much is, the, you know, you probably won't get this question very often on shows, <laughs> but we're really, really, really into this stuff. So maybe we can tie what you do and what you think about, you know, the things that you've found over the years in helping so many people with uh, boundaries and with intimacy and all of that, and maybe we can relate it to something that's really near and dear to all of us because we can't avoid it right now, and that is social media. I mean, you've probably had at least one discussion with some client about boundaries on, you know, what you allow yourself to be exposed to, and I mean, there's probably no better year than right now because it's an election year so the vitriol and the politics and all of that stuff even from family members who you maybe never knew were that feeling that way or that feeling you know however they feel it doesn't matter you know it's just gotten really you know are those boundaries important i mean there's a lot of abuse talk on social media there's a lot of abuse that happens there too um, among friends and family members and just strangers that you inadvertently run into because you're on social, have you ever had to cut somebody off of Facebook for a while? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, I had to unfriend somebody earlier this year because they were being abusive, not just to me, but to somebody that I've worked with in the past. Um, my friend Kate, who is um, a gun violence survivor, her um, husband shot her both her and her father in front of Ooh. their four-year-old child, then four-year-old child, and, and Will has suffered a lot of trauma because of this, and it's ongoing because they still have not been able to go to trial, and he's still sitting in jail and hasn't been convicted, but it keeps continuing. And, and I had to I had to cut somebody off. I had posted something about gun control, and they came at, they came not only at me, but at her. 
And I thought, no, this is I can't do this. And so I unfriended this person, and I blocked them from being able to see anything on my page because my page is open. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a context that, that people aren't understanding social media. To this day, we've had so much practice. I think a lot of people took a long time to get on social, and, I'm, and pretty much everybody has onboarded in some way to it. And, and never did anything really significant on the Internet before that. So they, these are people who have never had any experience being in bulletin boards or forums who have ever run into the idea that people can't very easily detect sarcasm, and they also have their own context. And when you jump into a conversation now, I can tell you that that guy probably came from an area of the web where they were just really fired up about gun control in general and people coming to get their guns or whatever that might be, you know, that was his context. So he didn't have any inkling probably of what he was jumping into the middle of, and the reason that you put it up was a whole different context. You had a friend who was going through this thing and a very legitimate reason for probably putting up something that wasn't very hardcore about gun control, just, you know, we should keep guns out of the hands of crazy people and stuff like that. But if somebody comes in, so this is a, not about the issue itself. It's just a, a, a way of shining a light on how people don't understand context. And you can't just walk up, like you can't do it at a party, walk up in a circle of people and just start talking whatever you want to talk about. There was a conversation happening before you got there, and you would never do that. That would be what we'd call a rude person at the very least. And the crowd right. would probably move away from them. And like you unfriended this person, that you know the crowd would probably start to begin to shut that person out because they they're not welcome. And but in in the digital world, it's completely different because people don't take that kind of stuff into account for some reason. Because I guess they don't think it's real yet. I I think there's still people who don't think any of it's real. Like I really became shocked when people. You know, when Facebook started making people use their real names, I thought, oh, things are about to get real civil on the Internet now because <laughs> who in the right mind would say the things they have been saying anonymously with their real name and location and everything else? Nobody would ever do And bam, well, we all know what happened. <laughs> Not a damn thing. They just kept on going with their, their real picture their real likes and interests and background and where they work and everything you could do to verify a person's real identity, and they were still saying crazy, crazy stuff. That's when I first learned that there had to be digital boundaries. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I and I laugh because you know it did it did did continue, and, and I think in a lot of ways it got worse. Um, one of the th- one of the things that you mentioned was the word sarcasm just had a conversation about that word the other day and it means to tear flesh and i don't think people really understand how harmful sarcasm is and what it does to someone especially somebody that's been abused because those that verbal abuse has already been done over and over and over to them and somebody comes in and and they don't even think anything of it because a lot of times sarcasm is is done because the person that's doing it feels uncomfortable 
and they're trying to make a joke, and what happens is they end up hurting someone that they never intended to hurt. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to, it goes right back to awareness. People are just not aware of how hurtful they can be to other people, and they, and they don't mean to do it. You know, I believe that most of the people in this world are good. Um, there's only a few that are really, they were born bad. And there aren't many of those, but, but there are some. And I And I believe that people don't mean to do the things that they do, and we see it on social media all the time. Um, They post, uh, you know, a satirical picture, and yet somebody gets hurt by that. And they didn't do it to hurt. They, They did it to be funny. They did it to cover up. A lot of times when we're using that sarcasm, when we're using that that humor or what we think is humor, we're doing it to cover up what's really going on deep inside. Our own fears, well, I mean, our own hurt. Isn't that where? Yeah, isn't that where Comedy Central came from? Isn't that why a lot of people switched to getting their news when John Stewart was on because they couldn't bear the real raw, unedited news that was coming out. And the, I mean, I know a lot of people, including me, that got my news primarily from Comedy Central when John Stewart was on because he was making people laugh at something that would otherwise just be so horrible, so horrendous, and so depressing that, you know, you felt like you were still connected to the world and you knew some stuff that was going on, but in a way that was lighthearted enough that you could handle it in the first place. Otherwise, you wouldn't be getting any news at all. I mean, how do you help women strike that balance with, you know, uh, being in the world, being here, living here? I mean, mean, if somebody's going to share a meme and it is – funny to um, a certain number of people, but somebody has been through a situation where it's not funny at all, I mean, the responsibility, ultimately, you can't say, hey, Internet, you have to not say any of these things that are going to trigger me from a traumatic event that I had. That can't happen. That won't happen. So what do you tell women to do to protect themselves uh, in this way so that you know, they're running into as little of that kind of junk as possible? I had a professor years ago when I was doing my mental health internship, and one of the things that she did with clients was she did not allow her clients to watch the Lifetime channel. And that's one of the things that I have held steadfast to. Um, I, mm. I don't watch, you know, those are triggers for even me. And I've and I've worked through all of the layers of garbage, but when you, when you've had post traumatic stress disorder, that trauma never goes away. You can't undo the trauma; um, it's always yeah. there. And so, what you learn how to do is to cope with it, and you learn what your triggers are. Um, like for somebody that's been shot, that. That loud noise from a a car backfiring, um, possibly a slamming door, those noises could trigger 
them back into what happened. And so I teach women how not to do that, you know, how not to go there when it does happen to find their happy place, you know, to to make sure that when we start to work, I I get them to lay out where their happy place is. It could be the beach, it might be the mountains, it might be a bench in a in a park that's got flowers and and birds singing and and just quiet. And so that's where I have them go when something triggers them. And I send them, you know, they they in their mind they go to their happy place and they tell themselves this is not happening right this minute. I'm Michael Sue. It is now 12:20 in the afternoon on Tuesday, November the 8th, 2016, and I am okay. There's nobody here to hurt me. And I'm all right. And I'm in my happy place and I hear the birds singing and it's okay. And so that's one of the things that I teach them, and, you know, I teach them how to avoid those triggers, like not watching Lifetime Channel. If there's a movie on that's about abuse, stay away from that. That could take you back into that into that harmful time. Um, stay away mm-hmm. from people that trigger those emotions. Stay away from that abuser. What about? Yeah, what about what do you tell them to gravitate towards? Because staying away is everything in the universe, right, has an opposite. There's yin-yang, there's cycles, seasons. Everything goes in a circle. Everything is cyclical, and you can't have one thing without another thing. So what do you, I know that you do this. This is why I'm asking is what do you tell them to gravitate toward? If there's people they should stay away from, who do you tell them to seek out and hang out with or any example like that that you can give? People that are healthy. People that don't cross their boundaries. People that are loving and kind and gentle. You know, when we learn to hang with the, with to hang with the the good folk, we become the good folk. Um, I learned years and years ago in a recovery program for families and families and friends of alcoholics. And it was when I hang with those people that are in recovery and have true serenity and a lot of confidence and a lot of self-esteem, then I become one of them. And sometimes I have to just fake it till I make it and act as if. Um, mm-hmm. But if I'm surrounded by that type of person, that's I'm going to elevate myself to their to their elevation. So I stay away from the ones that will bring me down because I don't want to lower myself to that to that standard. I want to take myself up, and so that's what I have them do is to continue to to build themselves up, to continue to have that confidence and that self esteem. And to know that they're not what happened to them. It just, it was just a bump in the road. And it happened for a reason. No matter how bad it is, it happened for a reason. There was a lesson in that. And 
take the lesson. You know, it happened. So no. go with it. How don't do you get dwell on don't dwell on the crap that happened. Dwell on well it happened, you know, there's a lesson in this and so what can I take from it? What can I learn from it? And go with that. Do you find that people um run from the thing they don't want so fast that they also leave the lesson behind and you have to get them to turn around for just a second and at least go back and pick up that lesson? I mean, it seems natural that they would pick it up, but they're scared to stay in the vicinity of what, where the lesson came from, right? Because they just don't want to be anywhere around it. And they, if they don't believe what you just said, if they, nobody's ever told them that before, then all of that is something to run from and never look at or address. And their lesson was hidden in there somewhere too. So oh, that yeah. can't be good. There's there's no doubt about that, Jack. You know, fear is most of our most of what we do um, that's not good for us is based on fear. And what keeps us stuck is based on fear and that's false evidence appearing real and there's umpteen million different acronyms for fear. But what happens is we get stuck in that in that fear and that not good enough and we have to remind ourselves and so what i try and um impress upon them is that you're not what happened to you there's somebody really good you might be hiding it deep down inside but there's somebody good there and Let's pull her out, or him, because sometimes I work with men. Um, But pull that person out. Let the world see that there's somebody that can really shine brightly. And don't let that fear hold you back. Because you've you've got a message to tell the world. I didn't realize that there was a piece to what happened to me until 2000. I was molested probably about four or five by the two boys that lived next door that babysat. And I don't even know to what extent that was. I don't know if I blocked it. I don't know, you know, if it's just buried. And, and that's okay. The more, the you know, the bottom line is it happened to whatever degree it was. And, I didn't realize until I was almost 50 years old that, oh, my goodness, there was a term for that. It was called molestation. I was a little girl. They were older. And I thought I had participated, not realizing that I had not participated, you know, they said, come on, let's do this, and I went along with it. And then I, I thought, well, you know, this feels good, so I'm going to continue to do it. And when I went to this therapist, she said to me, you didn't do anything wrong. You weren't a bad girl. Yet I, pay, I played the bad girl role for many, many years. And she said, I said, but I, it felt good. And she said, but that's what sex is supposed to feel like. It's supposed to feel good. And once she put that name on it, and I was able to, to look at it and say, oh, my gosh, I'm really not a bad girl. 
And she said, no, you're not. I was able to move away from it. And I think if I have nothing else to share with with the people that I work with, especially the, the women um, and, and the guys too, um, that, as I said before, you're not what happened to you. You're not yeah. a bad person. And and you can move beyond that. And don't let that that thinking keep you back. And so I I always it, and it's on my it's on my website. Um, when you go in and you look at my at my bio page, you are not what happened to you. And that is if I can't say anything else, that's the message. Because there's somebody good. And let's pull that somebody good out and let's let that somebody good do what they need to be doing instead of staying yeah. stuck under the 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 yuck. Do you ever uh do you ever work with people and in, in, in the and have people realize that you're not even your body? <laughs> that you were you, you only had a body when you were born, you know, and what were you before that? I mean, you don't even have to be like a particular religion at all to know that we came from like nothing, right? We didn't have bodies or eyes or ears or, you know, so what is it to be you? I mean, what you what is really, really you? Are you that body, that physical thing that walks around and drives a car and all that kind of stuff? And a lot of people, I think, I think most of humanity is stuck, cradle to grave, thinking that what we are, and I think that's why we have such problems with death, because we really think that's the end, because we identify completely with the fact that we are this body, that right. we are nothing more than that. I mean, do you do you touch on those kinds of subjects with people who are mostly coming to you, I would imagine, with, you know, problems of the physical realm, uh, and completely that, and... And if they have any spiritual questions, is why would some some like God or something like that? Why would whatever they believe in let this happen to me? It, and maybe th- is that the extent to which people are even thinking about that? And the rest of it is just I am this physical person in this physical world, and these things have happened to me. I always tell people. In fact, I said it this morning. I had a business meeting this morning, and I said I I believe that God chose me for this path. Not to hurt me, not for me to feel the pain, but because God knew that I could teach. And when I and when I say God, it's you know, it's it's this big picture. It's whatever and and it's whatever anybody believes. Um so I don't want to rule out any any religion or anybody because I use the term God. Um, yeah, we got to use I'm some not, term. And I'm not her, I'm not real sure who he or she or they are, but you know, it's I know that there's there's somebody so much greater than me that leads all of us and leads the world, and I I truly believe that I was chosen. Because I have a message. I now have this compassion. I now have the understanding of what I went through and what others have been through. 
and how to get to the other side of it. How else could you explain it other than the way that you just did? There are countless women who have been through something similar to what you've been through, but there are only a handful relative to the whole who are like you, who if you weren't chosen for this, what, what, I mean, the, the only other thing you could say is like coincidence and you can't, I mean, there's no other way to describe it logically other than the fact that some people like you are chosen to be strong enough who maybe have been identified as being strong enough to put yourself in a position to, in a sense, you have to be so good with the things that have happened to you in your past because you're going to relive them every day or you're going to be close to them through the women that you help because it's going to, I mean, how do you personally deal with triggers and things because you're helping people who have been through things that you know intimately well uh, from your own first person experience. How do you even do that unless you're a super strong person that you practice what you preach, that you've got your, uh, stuff in line, your ducks in a row and everything else about how you think about it, about what life is about. And, I mean, if you weren't chosen to do what you're doing, there's no other explanation I can see that would make any sense uh, than that. Well, I have to believe that I was chosen for the greater purpose because if not, then it's, oh, my gosh, what did I do? that was so wrong for this to happen to me. And I I just can't go there. You know, that would keep me way back in what I had been through. And so I yeah. and I choose not to. I have I have a ritual that I do every morning. I get up, I read several books that are about recovery. Um self-esteem, love. Um, I have three card decks that I, I choose a card out of, and I read that card, and then I keep a journal, and I write three morning pages and write down my deepest thoughts, what happened yesterday, what I'm doing today, um, and then I keep a gratitude journal, and my gratitude journal is 10 things that I'm grateful for right now and 20 things that I'm grateful in advance for. And it's really cool when things that are on my GIA list move to the gratitude list. Yesterday I might have written down something on my GIA list, and today I wrote it down on my gratitude side. And I can smile hmm. and say, yes. I did it. And I and I believe that if we if we come from the place of our heart, we follow our guts and we use the lessons that we've learned from the crap that's happened, then we are we are putting out good throughout the world. And that that that's like an avalanche, you know, when you're when you're doing well and you're doing good, it shows. You know, we smile. We we put our shoulders back. 
and, and put our chest out, and we walk with our heads held high and our chins up, and the world sees that, and they want to know what she got. Look at how she's what she drinking along. Yeah. Yeah, what kind of Kool-Aid she I'll got have, in her house? I'll have what, I'll have what yeah, she Yeah, I'll got. have one of those. And <laughs> and people want, you know, I wanted when I first started down this path of, of doing my degree, I had been hurt. I had, I had been doing, um, I drove a truck, 18-wheeler cross-country into Canada for eight and a half years. And have over a, a million miles under my belt driving that truck. And wow. it probably wasn't real good on my wrist. And then I did retail merchandising, and I worked fast and furiously on the days that I worked so that I could have some days off and play with the girls and have fun. And Because um, we were going to a meeting, and we were going to lunch, and we were going shopping, and it was fun. And I wanted that day off to have fun. And so mm-hmm. I tore up my wrist and had to have surgeries. So in nine and a half years, I was on workman's comp and had 14 surgeries, and I went to school, and and I got all these degrees and was able to better myself, learn some things that I needed. I happened to meet Dr. Lenore Walker, who wrote The Battered Woman Syndrome, and she's my mentor and a friend and um and my my she was my thesis chair and now she's my dissertation dissertation chair for my doctorate and she taught me a lot about what women go through and and about domestic violence and sexual abuse and how to move beyond it and and so I became a perpetual student <laughs> Because of that bad, but the good came from it. I thought, well, what am I going to do? I, you know, I I got time on my hands. What do I do? And so I went to school. And you know what I think? And then I really, continued to really, go to school. Well, excuse me, it, what it you brings say, up Jack? something. It just—it's amazing to me, and maybe maybe nobody's told you this before. Probably somebody has, but you already had. You're you're going to be, a, 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 you know, masters and a doctorate, and and you're probably going to you know do a bunch of books and I mean, all of this stuff. And I think that somebody could meet you along your path where you are right now and go, she's good at this because of this stuff that she's doing because she's a perpetual student. And I would argue that that's absolutely not true. You might be getting better at helping people better at technical stuff, better at exercises that you've learned by working with mentors and stuff like that and uh, 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 people who have been behavioral psychologists, all that kind of stuff. You get better, I think, at the techniques, but you were already kind of a badass before any of this started. Would you agree? Because how did you arrive at this point? Because you did something different. You did something different than most women probably do. Uh, you you could you have to be the one who backs me up on that whether I'm right or not. But you went forth and faced it and decided you wanted to help others with it, which automatically signed you up for being around pain that you know that you identify with or you could identify with every single day of your life. Every time you help somebody, it reminds you of your. You were already incredible before 
any of this schooling or any of this stuff happened. I will say that for sure, and then you can talk about this stuff I'm not qualified to talk about in that question, which wasn't really a question. <laughs> I've lived this for almost 60 years. And it's it's not been a fun ride. It's not been a really great path to walk. Mm-mm. And somehow or another, something changed, and and I started to to put it together to where I could take it out into the world and teach people how not to do this, how not to do what I had done, and not to get mired in the muck of what happened. To get them through uh, it faster than you did, to not repeat yeah, your absolutely. mistakes. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. Because I, I've done the I've done the footwork. I've already done what it needs, the grunt work, and done what it needed to be, you know, what needs to be done so that I could put it together and help somebody to go through it quickly. And yeah. and and to get to the other side and say, hmm, okay, that wasn't so bad after all. I didn't want to have to do that, but but this was really good. And it and they don't have to take the time that I took. I, you know, shoot, I had to get married and divorced yeah. three times to figure this out. Um, <laughs> and 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 go through some really really horrific relationships in between. Um, there was a lot of promiscuity. Well, I think, but the, the the essential part of it that I'm seeing, though, is that your story is similar to countless hundreds of thousands of other women all over the world, but they're not all doing what you chose naturally to do, and that is to help and to help them, you know, help other people. You've probably helped yourself a lot, doesn't it? Maybe I've been focused too much on putting yourself close to that trauma that you had and all those things that you had to go through by helping people, but I know from teaching that I love it. I learn a lot by teaching, and I I feel really good coming out of those things. I don't feel bad because I used to not know this stuff, and now I do, and, and I wish I would have learned it sooner. I mean, don't you come out of most of your sessions or all of your sessions feeling really, really good yourself? Just yes. because you had to, you made any progress, or maybe you didn't even make progress with somebody that day, but you knew you were knocking on the door, and just the knocking on the door was good enough because you knew that someday she's going to open that, maybe tomorrow, and she's going to let me in, and we're going to be able to fix this thing quicker than I had the uh, the opportunity to do. I mean, I just think that's incredible. I think that's worth noting and congratulating you for because you know that most women who go through these kinds of things don't. Don't make the decision that you did. It takes, I think, bravery, and it takes something else I can't put my finger on, but for whatever reason, you know, it was our chosen discussion earlier. Since we don't really know any better way to say what it really is, you were chosen. (laughs) But that's not actually getting to why you're incredible. I just want to remark on the fact that you are. And leave it at that. I don't don't think we're going to come up with a solution today. You've been trying to figure that out your whole life, right? Thank you. Um, I don't. You know, there are some things that just happen. 
um, 36 years ago, I had a child that was 14 months old that died. And the doctor came to me after he had gone over to the medical examiner's office and looked at the autopsy and and, and looked at what had happened. And um, he came in and he sat down, and there was no medical explanation for something that had happened. And I said, God, there, the carotid artery was wrapped around his trachea, and when they had gone in to begin with, they saw that, but then they did a test and they didn't see it. And when he went in and looked at the autopsy report, he came to me and he said, well, it was there. And and I said, well, God wrapped it, unwrapped it, and rewrapped it. And I truly believed that that's what it was. And he said, there's no better explanation because I don't have an explanation for it. And I believe that there are no coincidences. Nothing right. happens by accident. Um, and... I didn't realize, I knew that that child came into my life and left my life for a reason. It took me a lot of years, one of which was to learn the true meaning of acceptance, and that is that it just is. It's a fact. It happened, and you move beyond that fact. You, you just you just go with it. And I realized a couple of months ago that that child left my life so that when one of my dearest friend's daughter was killed by a drunk driver, I was there at the hospital with her, and I welcomed her into the club of someone losing a child. And, I, and, I, and, and it was very clear to me, once all that transpired, that that's what my purpose was. And I was madder than hell when it happened to begin with 36 years ago. I mean, I was just, you know, there was no calming me down. I was pissed. And mm-hmm. yet I was able to say, I get it. I, I get it. I was able to just look up and say, I get it. Thank you for allowing me to be the one. And that's what I do and why I do what I do. If I had to go through it, then let me do something good with it. And and that's what I that's why I do what I do. So that people don't have to hurt any longer than what than what is necessary, you know, what they've already hurt because mm-hmm. I can help them get to the other side. Because I have a solution. You know, I have some programs put together that can help them not to have to go through years and years of pain. They've already been through enough. Mm-hmm. And they can have this full life. On a much lighter note, um, you know, that not that what uh, we creators make things for? Like information products, like coaching programs of any kind is to get people through things we had to suffer through, fight through, um, on every level, not just this very, very serious level, but, I mean, you're just, you're matching a pattern that it appears that life was meant to have in it, and that is, you know, people figure things out, and 
there's a whole group of people behind them are not figuring it out or not going to figure it out soon enough to, to satisfy us as creators, so we create things like programs and you know to help them go faster. I think that's how we arrived technologically, theologically, spiritually, uh, society and culture. That's how the hu- humanity really got this far this fast. I mean, we really got here quickly when we started sharing information, when we started – you know, way, way back when it was around a campfire telling stories. We didn't have a written language. We could only tell. And then before that, we were just grunting, I suppose, and uh, <laughs> pointing at things. But we were sharing information. Where's the wildebeest? Where's the water? Where's the? And you're just showing people where the water is. And they're getting ready to take a really long path with a lot of uh, stickers, uh, thorn bushes in it, you know, and you know that's not the way they sh- they have to go, and you're showing them the way they can go. I mean, this is something that goes all the way back to our beginnings, and and you are an example of the latest in that advancement, on the cutting edge of what it is to be someone who shares and gets people, you know, organized and coordinated around their thoughts and emotions, and you know, this is how this can be, this is how you're experiencing it. And here's how it can be. You could do it this way. And it's okay to do it that way. Mainly probably because you have to tell people first, convince them that it wasn't their fault. And they're not supposed to go down that thorny path but just because of paying penance or because they need to punish themselves. But that once you get that out of the way, then you can say, look, there's this path. Look how the sun is shining on it. And it's going directly to the water. You know, I just think that's fascinating. I love your story because it just matches so many of the other kinds of stories that I love. I think humanity really loves these kinds of stories. It's not just me. So, yeah. So what what can people do to find out more about you? Uh, you know, it's not just our listeners, but our listeners have family members. <laughs> so it doesn't oh, yeah. have to it, – it's not super likely, although it could, that a, you, you could be of direct help to someone listening right now. Uh, more likely than ever is that the attachment to all of the other friends and family members of the people who listen – Someone's going to need your number. So how do they find out more about you? What's your website? And so that they can, you know, put you in their Rolodex or use you right now. My website is theintimacymentor.com. We are rebranding and reconstructing. Hopefully within the next week or so it will be up and completely functional, but there's still information on there. Um they can get to me through there. Uh, my my email is theintimacymentor at gmail dot com, and I have to I have to back up when I say intimacy. In, intimacy is in to me I see. It's uh-huh. looking deep within because. Women that have been sexually abused have blinders on, earplugs in, uh, masks on, um, armor around their heart, and they don't want to know anything about what most people think intimacy is. It's about having this really great intimate relationship with yourself, being able to look deep down inside and say, there she is. She's great, and we're going to pull her out. And then she can have relationships with other people 
where they see the greatness because it just exudes in all their being and everything that they do. And then maybe, you know, later on down the road when they choose, they might decide they want something different and be able to move into a healthy sexual relationship. And I have people that can help them with that, but not me. (laughs) Yeah. Does it surprise you how little preparation we get, in Western culture at least? I don't know every culture, but I know in my Western culture, I got no preparation whatsoever. Uh, And it's no failure on my parents' part because they never did either. Um, Growing up, for all of the things that didn't have to do with math, science, um, art, and religion, when, when when you have an upbringing like that and then... Then you start to run into people, you know, who are now middle-aged or or even older who are asking questions that should have been asked and answered, I really truly believe, like when they were teens or even earlier for some questions and at the very least when they were in college for other questions. What do you think is the biggest, you know, maybe we can leave with this. um, We'll see where this goes. What do you think is the biggest failing of of our our not education system because a lot of people don't know or feel like this shouldn't belong in an education system. You need to know math, science, and that's it. And you know, so you can go get a job. But I feel like we've been putting out generation after generation of completely and utterly unprepared people for life itself, because there isn't any life classes. There aren't any people like you going to schools as a part of the the, the set curriculum to teach people how to deal emotionally with all of this stuff that we all know. It's like it's not fair to look at kids going through school right now knowing, knowing that they are not getting the preparation that they need for life, and we know this because we didn't get it and we're experiencing the fallout from that. And, and it, it sticks with some of us all our lives. I mean, yeah. what do you think about that? Is there a place for, for this stuff? What would you do uh, if, if you were in charge of all of that? If I was in charge, there would be a whole curriculum of boundaries, sexual abuse, life, and I'm working at writing some of that to get it into middle, high school, and college campuses. Wow, we, I did not you know, know that, guys. We, uh, we <laughs> Just are, so you know, I didn't know that. <laughs> we are what we learn. We teach what we learn. And unfortunately, right now, the, the, the schools are teaching to the test. Oh, yeah. And we're not teaching kids. They're learning it via the Internet, via TV. And yet, it's not a real good picture. They're learning something. I don't know if they're learning. They're learning it, something. Like capital I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're learning some things, but they're not getting a real good picture. What I want to do, my ultimate goal with the intimacy mentor is for women that go through my programming and and heal and, and are healed and recovered from what happened to them, the trauma, if they, want to, if they choose to pay it forward 
and I hope that many will, they can come on board and we can they can learn what I do because I'm not working as a mental health and substance abuse therapist by choice. I'm working as a guide. I'm working as a mentor so that I can teach them what I do, what I know, so they can take what they know and we can pass this on around the world. We can have this go global. And in doing so, we can make the world aware. We can educate people because it's all about the awareness. Just like I said earlier in the program, when we know better, we do better. And that's what needs to happen. When, when and tell everyone. <laughs> yeah. When people feel good about you, themselves I... and have self-esteem and self-confidence, yeah. then they can pass that on to somebody else. So you're not just interested now, I realize, one of the biggest reasons that you're on this show, uh, meant to be kind of thing, because that's pretty much the people that we always attract to the show, that eventually it comes out. This one came out a little bit later, but it should have been assumed by anybody who's listening that, that you know, you didn't want to just help a woman here and a woman there and whoever's coming in at 3 o'clock. That's important, and it really is for that person, for her sake, in and unto itself, but your expectation is, and you put it out there for them, that you take this and whatever good happens for you through it, take it and pass that on. And changing the world through that kind of thinking is the kind of stuff we always get here. And I just love that it came out right when it did, the way that it did, um, because it just makes sense, you know, that you're not treating people all in isolation and they go back into their, you know, lives and their little bubble of their lives and then nothing gets shared from that because you can't save everybody that way. You can't do anything big, 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 big that way. And so while you get paid to do what you do, that probably can't be any remotely enough for you personally if all you're doing is going and saving and helping one person at a time and that nothing happens after that. There's no viral effect to it. So I just love that you uh, you, you, you mentioned that. That's why I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, because it's not about it's not about me. It's not about me. Yes, I have a story. Yeah. And and people can relate to that story, but it's to to help them, to guide them, to show them that they too have a story and pass it on. Yeah. Until you're out of business. And you'll be the happiest person in the world if one day you're completely out of business because there's no more customers because everybody's okay. I wish, 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 wish that that could be the case. Uh, You know, there would be no no greater gratitude and satisfaction for people like Lenore and, and me to be out of business and not have to work with people that have been battered, people that have been abused. That would well, be, that would be on, amazing. Carry on with that. You're working toward that goal, and you're making it happen. And uh, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was just a delight talking to you today. Thank you very much. Gina, back to you. 
Well, thank you so much, Michael Sue. It was a pleasure meeting you when we met at the Women's Prosperity Network recently in Orlando. I'm so glad we could bring you to our people. And we will be back next week, same time, same place, for another episode of Leverage Masters. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Thank you.